You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is our last week for the month of June, and this painful theme that Michael came up with. <laughs> we'll see if any of you get it. This last this last chance to throw in your guesses. Did you all see that bluebird bus that just ran over me? <laughs> well, I was just pretty skeptical that anybody would get it. Well, we've already had some some grumpiness from one of our super fans about this. <laughs> and uh, in, in retrospect, perhaps we should have gone with a month of the films of June Squibb. There, ooh, I like that one, actually. Yeah. That's a good one for the future. I also had it proposed to me, and I do think that this is a fabulous idea, that we do a John Hughes month. And apparently there, there might be a documentary on John Hughes. We mentioned it in the Uncle Buck episode. I wanted one. And somebody said that um, Superfan Darcy said that there might be one, so I'm going to go hunt for it. Right. And and I agree with her. I think we should do, you know, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. I don't think we've done Home Alone. Oh, I'm sure we haven't. And so I'm sure we can find a fourth one. Right. I'm going up on a fourth one, but he's had a bunch. Yeah. But we just did Uncle Buck, so that's off the table. Right. No, I'm uh, saying for next year. Yeah. I think that would be a great I mean, a that, great theme. That that's it's a nice callback. Because in this film, there's a line of dialogue where Olive says she wishes, uh, was it for once I want my life to be like an 80s movie? And she does call out Mr. Hughes' work. Yes, I was going to bring that up. So we're kind of jumping the gun. But oh, we'll... okay. You didn't say anything. Every All listeners no, no, pretend no, no, you didn't hear it. No, it's not your fault. Will Gluck is, was a huge John Hughes fan as well as Emma Stone. Her dad showed her all of those. So it's just, it's all thematic here. Right. Okay. Right. Are so, we going to get to Hughes later? I don't want to jump the gun. We are. We are. Okay. Let right. me get back on I'll track. I'll say nothing. I'll get back on track. This is episode 123. We're going to be talking about Easy A, which came out in 2010. Right now it is playing on Netflix. So if you subscribe to Netflix, you can watch it for free. So like I said, um, the director, Will Gluck, also did Friends with Benefits in 2011, Annie in 2014, and Peter Rabbit in 2018 and woke in 2020 i don't remember woke no i think that probably didn't do well at the box office because of the title <laughs> well if there was no box office in 2020 <laughs> i think it'll kill a show faster than a bad title how about too much exposition <laughs> or a pandemic and it stars emma stone amanda Bynes. this was amanda Bynes' last film as of yet hopefully oh, oh. if it's if it's in her best interest she might do another but but this right. would be um the last one pen badgley dan bird thomas hayden church patricia clarkson lisa kudrow stanley tucci fred armison i mean a wonderful cast really right right I, I am super impressed with this cast. The DP is Michael Grady. He also did, um, he's done a lot of TV as of late. Your Honor, The Morning Show, On the Basis of Sex, Ozark, and The Leftovers. So a lot of TV mm. or streaming shows, I guess I should say. It was filmed in Ojai where it takes place. And the writer was Burt V. Royale. 
He also wrote Cruel Summer of 21 and Big Hero 6 in 2014. Oh, wow. Uh, Big Hero 6, wasn't that the animated film? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. The synopsis of this film is a clean-cut high school student relies on the school's rumor mill to advance her social and financial standing. Okay. Okay. I got three taglines for you. A comedy about a good girl, a small favor, and a big rumor. Meh. Yeah, meh. I agree. The rumor-filled, totally false account of how I ruined my flawless reputation. The rumor mill. No, I think it means rumor filled with a hyphen between it. Very, yeah, it's it too is. confusing. It's hard for the listener to parse. Bad tagline. Bad, okay. Let's not and say we did. Okay, that makes sense after the fact, but I don't think it, it serves well as a tagline. Yeah, this a cr- not the crack marketing team that we wanted. Right. Okay. Uh, super fan RJ, uh, you give us three more <laughs> taglines that you think work better. <laughs> so this screenplay was part of the t- 2008 blacklist of the most liked unmade scripts of that year. And so I'm glad that they kind of got their bleep together and got it made because <laughs> this is a really fun film. Kick us it off is. with your pickup line. The rumors of my promiscuity have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, it's brilliant. Right mm-hmm. in my theory. Yeah, exactly. That's a better tagline. <laughs> yeah, it really would be. Right. That would serve great as a tagline. Okay, Superfan RJ, homework averted. <laughs> so, oh, this is interesting, and you'll like this from doing your time down in the Orange right. Grove <laughs> section of California. So, Ojai is apparently where there still are a lot of Orange Groves. Okay. And so, to that extent, the director, Will Gluck, put oranges in every single scene of this movie and he said he did this to be artistic and he had a bet with emma he said people would notice and she said no one would notice and as far as i'm concerned she wins she absolutely wins i I never i never even saw like even after i read this trivia while we were watching the movie i never saw like a bowl of oranges or an orange on her desk or yeah i'm immediately trying to think of like in the red lobster right right now in the opening credits when they're kind of showing us oh hi yeah they did do a close-up of like an orange growing on an orange tree yes but he said like a hidden mickey right well i almost need to watch it again almost (laughs) <laughs> we have so many so much to yeah, watch. Yeah, we have a lot to watch. Okay, I appreciated how they added a little bit of grain, not a lot, but a little bit so that we clearly knew that she was kind of like vlogging. I mean, she is looking straight into the camera, which generally they don't do. But it could be breaking the fourth wall, right. which is not uncommon. But they did it in a way they never did like in some movies, they'll show like maybe one of her friends watching on their computer so that we see she's vlogging or right, right. it was just her. She filled the frame and she was looking right at the camera. Oh, no. At the very end, they showed us from behind the camera because I remember seeing her webcam. So, yeah, the, the but tail not end. at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the uh, the entire kind of diary shot. The one at the end was at, was not that original where she held up the different. The five stages, that was a different one. Right. And she shot that all in one day, all of those. And she had to get up in between and like 
go outside and like run around because yeah. she was just tired of sitting. Oh, uh, sure. But that, like you said, when we were watching it, that was her audition. Mm-hmm. And Will said that every actor he that tried out for that part, he said, okay, now go home and make me this. And in four hours, Emma emailed it to his email, the video. She had gone home and done exactly as he said. And the other actors, their representation called, like, what format do you want it in? Um, Mm -hmm. Where do you want her to be sitting? How do you want that? Like, they just, they were overthinking. And Emma just did exactly what he said. Yeah, directors love it when the actor just does what you ask. (laughs) Don't overthink it, just do it. Right. So what were some of the things in the cinematography that you caught? So uh, it's kind of image related, but I did like how they did the the credits were like CGI'd as, yes, as I meant that things too. standing on the grass. That was neat. Yeah. Um, there is a fun, uh, a fun shot of Olive and her family interacting that they shot from through a window from outside the house. I oh, thought that worked pretty well. That's cool. There's a, a funny edit where Olive is cleaning the graffiti off the toilet stall and they cut to her friend Brandon making more on the next stall, which I thought was kind of a funny (laughs) sight gag. Yeah. They had uh, two montages that I made note of. One was the pretending to have sex with people montage, and the other was her creating slutty clothes montage. Mm -hmm. And lastly, I thought it was really well shot where she does, after she's completely slutted up, they do the like kind of like the perp walk where she goes down this long hallway with all the lockers on the side, and the kids are peeling back. So not only was it like the leading lines, but it kind of a little bit the synchronized movement reminded me a little bit of like a Busby Berkeley kind of thing. Yeah. I thought that was like fun. Like parting the Red Sea. Yeah. Yeah. Bert V. Royale, who wrote the screenplay, wrote it, except for the last 10 pages, he wrote the whole thing in like five days. That's now, quite a bit. A, I was, as a writer, is it, is it because I've heard people say this before, like I wrote it in like just an hour or something like um, I remember Favreau said something about one of his like I wrote it over a weekend. Is it a good thing to write it fast? Because that means you're in the flow and it's just, you know, coming out of you really fast. Like, or is it better to pour over something and rewrite and or or does it matter? So it can be a sign uh, that you really know, like respond to the material if you write the first draft quickly. But it doesn't mean that it's good just because it's quick. <laughs> and all everything, no matter how long it, t- it took you to write the first draft, you, you really need to, to edit mm-hmm. to go back through and polish, in my opinion. So generally, though, when people say that, I think what they're talking to is they just had this idea and they were able to just go start to finish as opposed to other times you have an idea and you get to the end of act one and then you're like, okay, <laughs> now what? Now what? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what they're getting to, but I, I, I don't, I wouldn't attach too much to that. I think there's a lot of things that have been written in the, uh, right. Nano Remo national write a novel in a month that are crap, even though they were written quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't give overly credit to the fact, but it is kind of interesting that for him, uh, this idea, because I think this is not crap. I think this is a good story mm-hmm. that it just kind of flowed out. The other thing is, it's you know, it's not like a, an intricate heist movie where you probably couldn't do that in in just a few days because you need to spend a lot of time planning out the various you know 
interlocking pieces of the puzzle. Right, doing some research. So this one opens with narration of her kind of taking us to the point that we get to after, like you said, as we're going through the high school and kind of seeing all the credits. One thing about the credits I found interesting, usually your top build actor is first and they go through everyone else. And then when Emma comes on the scene, then we see and Emma Stone. Well, credit to her, because I, I would say some actors would have a hard time being last build. Well, and when I when I was, this wasn't like her first film, but this was her first time leading a film. And so I wonder if that was maybe part of it. I don't know. But I liked that, you know, it gives us some exposition. It kind of gives us a little flavor of Olive, that she's a little sarcastic and she's very self-confident. We get to know her a little bit before we even see her, really. Right. And then the, her relationship with her parents, it is so non-typical from, I mean, the John Hughes movies, all the parents were just idiots. They were vapid. <laughs> they were vain. Uh, you know, it was the 80s, so they were right. obsessed with money. And her parents, like, I was like, everybody wants parents like that. Like, they were... Right. They were funny and they were cool and they were sarcastic with her and treated her kind of like an adult, but not in an inappropriate way. So I will mention that when I brought up this movie, mm -hmm. just the title, Sporadic Fan Brennan said, oh, I love Stanley Tucci's work in that film. Uh, and yes, I think every father would aspire to be like Stanley Tucci. He's awesome in this film. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do like with sporadic fan Brennan, I did enjoy his, what you're adopted? Who right. told you? Right. That was <laughs> right, fun. Right. Um, and, but of course my favorite line from Tucci is, well, he seemed a little incredibly gay. <laughs> and I thought that was a, a funny play on words. I thought it was funny when he's talking about uh, Olive and he said, but we're only related by marriage or something. And so some people <laughs> yeah. said that audience, some audiences were confused thinking that he was a stepdad. But no, he's just being... He's being silly. He's being sarcastic and funny. Yeah. I liked how they were, they were kind of cool. Like, not cool. What's the word? They were... They, they didn't get all... What am I trying to say? They didn't overreact when she was like, hey, you guys, can you be my alibi? Because I got sent to the principal's office. Right. And a lot of parents would have like, what? You know, you got sent to the principal's office? And they were just like, okay, she did something. School's handling it. We don't need to double down. Like, right. And then there is, I think it was Patricia Clarkson as the mom, but it could have been Stanley Tucci as the dad or both of them. But they said like, oh, you know, not that we're getting concerned, but should we be getting right. concerned? So they weren't completely out of it, parents. But I liked how they were letting her kind of establish the boundaries. Like, do you, do you need us to step in or mm -hmm. you got this? Okay. Yeah. And then also related to that was Thomas Hayden Church's character as the teacher mm -hmm. where, I, I mean, he was kind of like the cool guy teacher. That's fair enough. And, and credit to Gluck or Church, whoever did the John Hughes callback. He did the mess with the bull, get the horns from breakfast club. Yeah. Love oh, that. No, there were, I think that was Gluck. There were, he said there were, he's such a fan of Hughes. There were hundreds of references that he put in this. Oh, film. I'm sure. But so, but I liked how he called Olive in and he's like, what's going on with this? Look, is everything okay? 
And and that was nice. I don't think my experience uh, at that time was that adults had any, uh, like there was no back and forth. It was not a dialogue. Mm -hmm. You were just told stuff. And I think John Hughes movies, I think, reflect more our experience with adults, which is they're generally idiots and telling you to do stupid things. Whereas this film, I actually, I think that's cooler. I'd rather have teachers and parents that are like this film. Right. And so what did you think about, basically, we need to inform the audience that this film is similar or inspired by The Scarlet Letter. So we have Olive explain it in an, you know, an exposition. Right. Well, that was the kind of the conceit of that vlog was Mm -hmm. it was an opportunity for the filmmaker to talk directly to the audience. Mm -hmm. I I think it worked well Mm -hmm. because later in the film, she actually does cut out um, the Scarlet Letter, which, by the way, I said this when we were watching it. I'm not sure why she had to ruin a dress to do that. She probably could have just gotten a yard of red fabric at Joanne's. Well, I realized, yeah, I don't know. Was it a dress or did she just get fabric? Maybe she did, but it, it was, was like, with all the other bags from the yeah. expensive places. So maybe I just I missed it, which right. is very common. I misunderstand things. So one beef I have, and I suppose, I mean, this was what... Almost 20 years ago. Oh, no. I suspect this might be the same beef that I have, but please continue. (laughs) 13 years ago. Just people's understanding. So the poor chubby kid kind of comes up to her and he wants to improve his reputation by now asking her if she would be willing to to say. Because he, the first boy that asked her to say that they slept together to improve his reputation told I should have gotten this kid's name because I hate calling him the... So Brandon was the young gay boy and Evan was the chubby boy. Okay, thank you. So Evan comes up and he's like, will you do to me what you did for Brandon and help his... And so she feels used because instead of being empowered and kind of it being her idea, now boys are trying to kind of ride on her coattails. And so she says no, and he sits down because he feels not only dejected, but he's probably bummed out that his idea of, oh. He was rejected once again. Right, right. But he sits down, and and I get that like he could be sad and just sit down and kind of feel bad, but then he pulls out a candy bar and he starts eating it. And it's just like, okay, yes, some chubby people eat their feelings, but we don't, A, we don't do it immediately, you don't do, we it do, do it in public. <laughs> and then he was wet in swim trunks at a swimming pool. You don't put your Snickers in your pocket and go swimming. That just, doesn't make any sense. I had a problem with it just as a yeah, stereotype. It landed and, really poorly. Yeah. That was my, I had made note of that as well. Right. So, and then we see her having a conversation with Mrs. Griffith, who is married to uh, Mr. Griffith played by Thomas Hayden Church. And she's talking to Olive to say, hey, what's going on with the outfit? And I feel like this is very, very, very right on the mark because something like this happened to one of our kids. I was trying to say, go talk to the teacher, go tell the teacher to try to get the kids to, you know, not only speak up for themselves, but then make the system kind of do what they're there to do. And the teacher let me down and it was, you know, kind of like, Oh, just ignore it. Go play. And, and I feel it. And they missed an opportunity to 
kind of be part of the change. And Mrs. Griffith also did this because Olive was about ready to confess to her what's going on and why she was dressing that way. And she basically just handed her condoms and said, be careful. Yeah, I think the character of of uh, that counselor, played by Lisa Kudrow, w- was pretty accurate in the experience of, you know, the, the last, I guess, the 2000s with high school counselors as they were effectively useless. Mm-hmm. That was our experience. And I really felt like that, this may sound weird, but I, I thought that was a very feminist character because she was screwed up. Not because she was a woman, but in spite of being a woman, she did the behavior that I think the cliche thing would have been to have the male teacher be sleeping with one of the students. And in this case, they inverted it, but not in kind of like a tawdry way where that made it more titillating. It was just like, oh, this was the character that that had that flaw. And so I, I did like that, and I, and I thought that was good for Kudrow. That role was good for her. But yeah, from a character standpoint, it was sad that Olive didn't get any support from the counselor. But again, yeah, that, that's really what I, I think the modern experience is. Mm-hmm. Move along. Out of my office. Yeah. Oh, I loved it when Brandon, the boy who has a crush on Olive, it's about two-thirds to three-fourths of the way through the film, so we're kind of nearing the end. And he's trying to kind of, he takes her out on a proper date, takes her out to dinner, and he's trying to show her that he he truly cares for her, not because of her reputation, but because of her. And I thought it was funny. He says, if I promise not to tell anyone, can I kiss you right now? Oh, um, yeah. And she says, no. Right. You mean in the Volvo? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right after they had gone on the date. And so everybody else, all the other boys were like, can we pretend like we kissed or can we pretend like it right. went somewhere? And so I thought it was sweet because he's like, I don't want to tell anybody. I want to keep this between us. And can I kiss you? I thought that was sweet. That is sweet. I think with the casting, unfortunately, I, uh, that actor was too good looking for that sweet of a character. I felt like he had way too much the like popular boy looks. And I, I think they tried to, you know, humanize him by making the mascot, which is generally pretty dorky. Yes, and they did. Um, that's, but that actor, uh, sorry to say this thing, isn't it? That's the pen Badgley, but he was just, I think way too handsome for just the regular guy role, in my opinion. Well, and I don't know if he was, cause I think, I feel like I'm too old to know this <laughs> but was he in other things and was he a name right well i think at I've, the time I've heard like that, was he in like a riverdale yeah, but that I actor's know. name or something yeah um but yeah it, w- it was nice writing in that sense and they definitely played with kind of the the era of social media it was just starting to get there yeah although i did make a note that this was i believe three years after the iphone was released and there were no iphones in it which i thought was a little odd it was all on the computer. They, they well, they did have phones, but I think I feel like if you made it today, there would be oh my god, there would be tons of iPhones. I do think that this does kind of speak to, unlike the John Hughes films, how different it is. Even though we had like the rumor mill, and but I think the thing they talked about this in more than one interview, the scene where 
she kind of says something or she's outed and they show it through, I don't know, like sped up. And, and it just showed how the rumor went through the school all the way around. And then like 15 seconds later came back to her because of social media. And that is something that we all kind of, uh, uh, those of us who grew up before iPhones didn't have to contend with. Yes. There were other ways that rumors got spread, but not, not as fast. Well, to play the devil's advocate, though, it was harder to get in front of the message than it is now, right? Because it was all, you'd have to tell your friend and hope that they told their friend. And and so everything goes faster, but that can be for good or for bad, right? I don't think it's necessarily all that different. I think people are people. The speed is faster, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. The scene where she gets hurt and she's upset and she runs. Oh, cause I think Mrs. Griffith kind of lets her down again and she runs straight to Mr. Griffith and tells him right. about Mrs. Griffith's affair. I felt like that was true because I think you are more reactionary in your teens. Oh yeah. Totally read I think accurately. You, you want to get even more when you're a little bit more immature and kind of haven't. And immediately after she said it and kind of saw his reaction and knew that she couldn't take it back. And now what the fallout was going to be, she immediately regretted it. Right. I, I thought that was good acting from Emma, but also very realistic. That's how you learn. That's how you grow up and mature is you make mistakes and you see the consequences. And I, think an adult would have that same instinct, but it would be informed by knowing the, the stakes of what that would. And, and I think most people would not want to know what Mrs. Griffith was up to because they wouldn't want the responsibility of choosing whether or not to tell Mr. Griffiths. But when you're a teenager, I, I could see, yeah, he wouldn't think that far ahead. Right, right. That'd be horrible. So I remember the fourth movie, or I realized the fourth movie okay, that we yeah, could do, yeah. because I was talking about uh, that Penn Badgley's character. Yeah, I feel like there's an obvious John Hughes movie I'm missing. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The one with with um, the speakers, the speaker. Oh, Say Anything? Yeah. Uh, or, is that it? Yeah, with yeah, John yeah. Cusack. Yeah. Um, Woodchuck Todd is Penn Badgley. So yeah. he was standing outside her window because she said she wanted to... And he even, right. I think, calls it out. You said you wanted to yes. be in a John Hughes film, so here right. I am. And he's playing the song in your eyes. From Peter Gabriel. Right. And but on portable speakers instead of a boombox <laughs> right. and standing on a, a lawnmower. lawnmower. Very funny. Good sight gag. So what did you think of the ending of this film? Because uh, I think they just kind of ride off. And so she... Well, now I'm going to say I don't remember a, a final scene. So but it wasn't memorable. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think the ending was. It wasn't like a, a film that had a big ending. It was the resolution of her of her character arc. I think she was Yeah, cuz she the ending she was speaking to the vloggers. Right. So so the, so we don't necessarily know what goes on with her and Woodchuck Todd, but that wasn't what the film was about. No. The film was about her closing the loop on her own kind of infamy. Right. right. So she's explaining. So she does the, it was funny because 
I don't remember this from every John Hughes film, but they said a musical number that makes no sense. And they were referencing <laughs> the Ferris Bueller. Yeah, the parade. Yeah. And so she did that oh, in um, the, the gym, the assembly, where she sang Knock on Wood in the lingerie. Right. Breakfast Club, they have a dance, musical dance number in the, in the library about halfway through the film. Right. Inexplicably. Okay, Love it. And so... They did that, and then she basically is is doing her vlog. And she did that to get everybody to watch her final vlog, where she right. was telling what had happened, basically right. telling the movie. Right. Saying that I, I wasn't actually a slut. I just said this. It spun out of control. Here are the bad choices I made. So I feel like, from my perspective, that was the ending, was her wrapping it up, and I like that just fine. This is... Uh, a concept I was first exposed to, uh, I think, in Atlas Shrugged, which is you can diffuse a lot of these things if you just own them. Mm -hmm. That a lot of the trouble you get into is when you start trying to deny things. And so she did that. She diffused all of her detractors by just saying, okay, here's what happened. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. Oh, before I move on, is there anything writing that you would like to include? There is a couple fun lines, but the one that I I remembered was, if there's one thing that's worse than chlamydia, it's Florida. Probably not <laughs> used by the Florida Traveler. Travel Bureau, <laughs> although Florida has a lot of oranges. And then I had a, a writing question was, presumably there was a reason why they chose this number. Why were there eight people in Amanda Bynes' God Squad? That just seemed like a large number of kids in the Christian club. I don't know why. You're it, saying it was more than you think there would have been? Yeah, cinematically. That's a large number of people because it's hard to get them all in frame and to make them visually distinctive. Five. That's a pretty standard number. So I was just curious. I'm sure the filmmakers chose eight for a reason. I'd love to know why. <laughs> I can't answer that one. You can't. Yes. Yeah, um, so under costumes, I noted from the trivia that there's a nod to Ferris Bueller's day off when she is in the shower singing pocket full of sunshine. Okay. Which is a bit of an earworm now for me. Now um, that you mention it, right. He does sing in the shower, doesn't he? He sings in the shower and he makes his hair into a mohawk and she does too. Yeah, you're right. So it's just fun to see. So I definitely agree with Superfan Darcy. We need to do a John Hughes yeah, month totally next Hughes. year. So I, I will mention a little teaser for next year's uh, month is I was talking to a friend of the show and guest on the show, Dustin Morrow, mm -hmm. about... Breakfast Club, and he, he did mention that John Hughes was uh, very much interested in the dialogue. He was a, uh, that was one of his focuses was on the dialogue, and so of course, as a filmmaker myself who makes movies about people standing around talking, I obviously respond to films about dialogue. Mm -hmm. And this one had really good. I liked the balance of witty teenagers without being so much that you're like. No teenager talks like that. That was a great point. Olive's dialogue was witty and fun, but still sounded like... Age appropriate. Uh, uh, yeah, age appropriate. Yeah. You're right. Good job, writers. <laughs> when Olive and Marianne become friends and they start playing the song from Greece, we go together. And then, so it's it's kind of montage but I guess it is because the music is playing... But they go through all these stages, and then by the time the song is over is when Marianne finds out that her boyfriend 
has chlamydia. Right. And I think, did he initially say it was Olive or something? And so by the time the song is over, their friendship is over. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that, but I'm partial or yeah, I'm parsh- partial because I like that song from Greece. All right. Any head trauma in the film? Oh, Easy yes. A. There's quite a bit. Uh, it starts out with Todd, the mascot face plants while trying to dunk as <laughs> a beaver instead of a blue devil or a woodchuck. I'm sorry. It's yes. instead of a blue devil. At 32 minutes, Olive paddles Brandon's bottom pretty aggressively. So I think that's like an honorary mention. But then she punches him in the gut so that he makes a suitable groan for their fake boom, boom, sexy time. Right. At 4310, Todd punches Olive's shoulder pretty hard. Again, a lot of punching. Do teens punch as much anymore? And at 5450, Olive pats Marianne's head when she cries about Micah's parents' divorce, but that was a pretty vigorous pat. That could qualify. And then at 57 minutes exactly, Micah's mom slaps the crack out of him for having chlamydia. That qualifies as lots of head trauma for poor old Micah. Poor old Micah. How about a smoochie? Who got to kiss in this film? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. There's an almost smoochie between Olive and Todd at 116.55. But then at 127.18, Olive toddler hugs and then kisses Todd. (laughs) Aww. And I don't remember any driving, but did you pick up any vehicles? Well, there was some vehicular action. First of all, I did earlier mention, so this is a callback for all of you playing along at home. Uh, Bluebird is the classic bus vendor. So there is a bus there and it's a Bluebird. Go figure. Olive drives a 72 Volkswagen Bug and that shows us that she's vintage and cool, man. Um, (laughs) Now, I have to say a a little bit self-serving here, but not everyone who drives Dodge vehicle attempts to purchase sexual favors. The guy who took her to Red Lobster was driving a very nice 2006 Dodge Daytona Charger. And just because he drives a V8 does not mean he's a scumbag. I just wanted to bring that up. And Todd's 93 Volvo station wagon is a dork mobile. <laughs> so I think, you know, they looked at the actor and they said, this guy is really attractive. We need to <laughs> dork him up a bit. And that vehicle does it. <laughs> the original script had the F word 41 times, the S word was 13 times and the c word was used three times the uses of these words were later cut down in the final script so as to receive a lower rating of pg-13 the movie's target audience as opposed to the rating of r okay so unrelated to this film necessarily but speaking of censoring which is ludicrous I uh, caught a little bit of Mike and Dave need wedding dates Mm -hmm. uh, on a broadcast television Mm -hmm. last night. And there is a scene which is critical and could not be cut where um, the bride appears uh, full frontal nudity and to make it broadcast worthy because they couldn't cut that scene out. They just pixelated basically her entire body and it looked ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I think kids would probably then immediately go and look up on the internet uh, just to see, because it was like, whoa, whoa, what was so bad that they had to pixelate her, her entire, entire body, chin to, na- to ankles, right? <laughs> this is ridiculous. And when this film was shipped to theaters, it was shipped under the code name Major Cities. And I thought, why? <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's a Marvel movie. It's not like uh, if somebody saw, oh, 
this is the next Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I mean, why was Easy A, why did it need a pseudonym? <laughs> right. And, and I, I'm just going to be um, maybe uh, 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 go out on a limb here. Why not just use like a, a, a number? Like, okay, this is A113. Who, who, why does it have to be major cities or like, you know, Frijole City or something? Why do they give these? Other than is it just for fun? Is there somebody there who, who gets to... I don't know. It's trivia. I'm just sharing it. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, it's a good good point. Why do they have these code names anymore? Right. And, okay, I'm going to back up even further. <laughs> Shipped to theaters? <laughs> who ships it anymore? Isn't well, this all digital? Well, this was 13 years ago. Okay, fair enough. But as of today, I, um, do we know any exhibitors? I would be curious if they still ship anything. Do they ship them like a hard drive with well, the bits on it? Or do they still ship them? Because if it's digital now, that could be torrented or... So if it's a physical copy, can they put better... Right. Um, what's that called? Like safeguards or what's a... Oh, there's a word for when you take the tab off. Co- no. Um, Protection? I don't know what word... But anyway, so now in my mind's eye, I see uh, the guy with the sunglasses and he's got the briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. Yeah. And that's got that's got the discs in it. He's right. got to bring it. And he has to stay there the whole time. Right. It would be curious. I wonder if our former theater employee would know if they are digital copies or... Oh, you know what I think they do? Okay, we should talk about this offline. Okay. Okay, sorry, Um, folks. Should we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. This movie was made for $8 million. Domestically, it made $58.4 million. That's a 9.5 times their initial investment, which is fabulous. Adjusted for today, that would be like $67.8 million. And worldwide, in 2010, they made $76 million. So... They did quite well. That Emma Stone is box office gold. Yeah. They, she's going to gold places, I think. Uh, this one got a 7 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics loved it, 85%. And audiences, not as much. What? At 77%. I, I'm saying that the critics liked it more than the audience. And I, we've asked this before, and I haven't done, <laughs> I haven't done the research. Are, are these numbers that are on Rotten Tomatoes, are they critics at the time did these reviews or, and like the audience reviews, is it somebody like to yesterday watched it and wrote a review? You know I, what I mean? I do. I, I think the critics have to be at the time because a critic is not going to go back and review a movie in the past, but I don't know about the users. Right. So this is an hour and a half. It is, like I said, rated PG 13. It is labeled as a comedy drama romance. It was Green Gems and Olive Bridge Entertainment. Uh, It won a Critics' Choice Award for Best Comedy at the MTV Awards. And also Emma won for Best Comedic Performance. Good job, Emma. So uh, this was a good film. Good flick. And that closes out our month of June. You have five days to get your guests in for what the what the theme for june is and like i said take a look at that graphic that will help you out this one is different than anyone we have ever done and i kudos Um, to those who can guess it apparently it's all my fault all right everybody never forget dodges never stop and neither do the movies 
Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 